Welcome, everybody, to episode five of DFW Rockstars. Today, like always, I've got a guest here in the studio. Well, not like always, because I think the first few we did uh, remote, tried to use software, and we've had varying levels of success and failure there. But in the house today, I have one Richard Gibson. Richard, say hi. Hello. Thank you, Justin, for having me. Ah, man, I appreciate you being here. And uh, I mean, before we even get started, I know you told me not to bring it up, but I've got to bring it up, man. You used to work on the radio. In some way, shape or form, you were a radio star. Star? Well. Well, uh, maybe a falling star, but not <laughs> anything of seriousness. I had a uh, call-in talk show on a business AM radio station back 2008-2009. When I finally gave it up, I did have the – I was on Saturdays competing with college football sure, and all these yeah. other wonderful things for live <laughs> shows. But I did have the uh, greatest number of call-ins on a Saturday show when I left. Really? On that station. Nice. <laughs> Hey, whatever. Uh, yeah. But, you know, when someone says, well, what are your ratings? Oh, yeah, that's funny. Like like this station was even rated. Yeah, we don't talk about that here. Yeah, we don't talk about that. It's like we used to tease the owner that he was taking over the world one crappy radio station at a time. <laughs> I, You know, I've been on the radio one time. Uh, well, I mean, I've had ads and stuff on the radio. But on a as a guest on a show, the guy was a, a real estate agent. And had a show, and he brought us in. We were his IT company. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a long t- – well, this was 2000, because we – right before 2000, because we came in to talk about the Y2K problem. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's that's the only time I've ever been on a live radio show, other than the very few times I've had the stones to call in, because it used to terrify me. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of over it now, but yeah, – Yeah, well, it takes some practice yeah. and some getting used to, and uh, it was funny. You know, I you say I was a star. Yeah, I was a star. Nope. My guests that I had fill in for me when I was gone were the stars. Matter of fact, we recorded one of my friends who's an attorney as a substitute. So whenever I would take a weekend off, right. we would play his pre-recorded show because oh. it was better than anything I ever did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then it gets you still people listening that time slot and oh, bumps you, right? Yeah, that's the way it, it worked that's out. That's the game. And so, yeah, it was, it was something else. But I remember the first show. I took an outline. If I was doing a live presentation with an audience, with people asking questions, it would have taken me an hour and a half to two hours to present. Oh, really? Yep. I blew through that material in seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was because you got no feedback. Yeah. You know, I had no guest. It was yeah. just me and the mic on live radio for the first Oh, my. Oh, that I would not want to do at all. It was – I've never been so nerve-wracked in – Yeah. Because you're thinking, oh, it's, how hard can it be to sit there and well, – It's hard. Well, especially to pontificate for an hour yeah. when you're not used to it. Especially it, when you're not used to it. Yeah. Yeah, because people don't realize – and I have so much more respect for the radio show hosts and stuff that do that solely because, you know, it takes a couple hours prep for every hour you're on air. Right. Yeah, and – the prep time is just right, and that's really what why I stopped because it's like I'm I'm don't like giving up my Saturdays because <laughs> it'd pretty much be an all day affair at that yeah, point. Yeah, it, it was. I had to do the prep work. I do there, get there, you know, beyond by eleven, on from eleven to noon, and then it was just like I was exhausted after that. That makes sense. I mean, again, back in my glory day because I was on that one show. What was that twenty years ago? Wow. Um, <laughs> And and there was there was the option for me. I think I had a radio station reach out to me, or I reached out to them, and and contemplated doing a technology show on the weekend. Yeah, and that's why I didn't. What you said right there, I wasn't even 
thinking about the prep. I just didn't want to give up any of my Saturday consistently. Yeah, well, I was thinking that I could do it enough and have a few of my friends substitute for me that I could rotate different hosts kind of was my idea behind oh, the show okay. to have different professionals. It would be my show, yeah. but I could have other professionals do it a couple times so sure. I wouldn't have to do it every Saturday. Yeah. And usually after I had them on as a guest once. They were like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> it's work. It's work. Uh, it is. You know, but I had one or two friends that was like, hey, that was kind of fun. What can we get to do together? And I found that it was always better if I got more people and more guests yeah, in. Right. Because just hearing to me, eh, that's not so interesting. But, you know, once we started getting the phone calls and the callers come, calling in and asking questions, you know, then it actually went a lot better. Yeah. But just, you know, trying to be on the air for an hour and fill that, that's tough. It You know, one, one thing, because, I, I, again, I don't do live stuff now. I do podcasting, and I've got actually three different podcasts that I run personally. Um, and today, as an example, I was a guest on somebody else's podcast this morning. I'm sitting here recording with you now, and then I've got to get uh, another one in later today, one of my other business podcasts. And what's the most surprising to me about this type of work, if we're going to call it work, because I love it, is that it's exhausting. It is exhausting. For whatever reason, to talk. (laughs) Yeah, but this, the podcast with guests, where you can actually have a conversation, I think makes it a lot better. Oh, 100%. There's no way I'd do it alone. Okay. No. Yeah. I haven't to date, and I don't think I ever will. Yeah, because there are people that, you know. They just do their thing, yeah. Yeah, and that's a God bless. Whole, Good for them. <laughs> whole different kind of breed. Yeah. Well, that's not not my breed, I'll tell you that. So, okay, Richard, you are uh, you jokingly told me I couldn't ask about your radio career. Yeah. Uh, now, you're you're not currently in radio? No. All right. And you are a uh, in the line of accounting, taxing, government uh, my the swear words are I'm like putting on my filter now because this is honestly my least favorite subject in running a business is having to do anything to do with financials. Now with that background, I just want to say that what caught my attention about you, uh, and and by the way for the the listening audience here, uh, I met Richard because we we reached out to him advertising our services. Absolutely. And in doing this research because we're we're very particular about who we look for for clients. Um, the line or the the phrase on your website that I loved was tax consultant. Is that fair? That's what you call yourself as a tax consultant. That is what I call myself. Hey, don't give anything away. Don't don't ruin my opinion of you if this isn't true. <laughs> no, because I have gone through so many accountants, and what I find is tax preparers. Yes. Rearview mirror. Well, uh, most of them are, and that's that, that's a problem. And the other thing I hope to say, I. First off, I don't call myself an accountant. Why? Because legally I'm not allowed to in the state of Texas. Okay. Uh, To call yourself an accountant in Texas, you need to be a certified public accountant, a CPA. doesn't matter what my degree is in. doesn't matter anything else. I'm actually an enrolled agent. I'm licensed by the Department of Treasury to represent taxpayers at all administrative levels of law before the Internal Revenue Service. Okay. Tax is my expertise. Whereas a CPA takes a two-day exam over accounting principles – I, when I took the test, I took a two-day exam over tax law administered by the Department of Treasury. Yeah. So 
And I want people to understand. I want people to make as much money as they can, but pay the lowest amount of tax legally possible. Right. And so tax preparation is part of what we do. But really what I try to do is before then talk to the client, make sure that you understand the different choices that you have because tax shouldn't be what I hate to use this term, wag the dog, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't. The ta- But what you need to do is figure out what you want your business to deliver and provide for you and your family, and then let's find the best tax structure, entities, such like that, okay. to achieve what you want this business to provide to you in a most tax-efficient manner. And I love that. And I know we're going to dig into that more later. Um but again, that's that was kind of the thing because I've found the only other person that I've found that really talks about strategy and, and looking forward, well, that delivers on it. I got I to gotta make that point. They all advertise it, but uh, accountants to my, at least in my limited experience, um, or whatever you want to call them, they, it, they do your taxes by, okay, send me your files. Like that, no, no. I want to be talking about next year's taxes two years ago. Yep. Not now. So um, that's that's why I'm like, I've got to get this. I want him as a customer, but no matter what, I just want to get to know this guy and find out more about what he does. So uh, again, thank you for being here and sharing some of that information. But before we dig into the thrilling world of tax laws, um, the part of the thing with, with this show, DFW Rockstars, my, my concept when I started it was... Um, two things. The one, I think all of us, every human on the planet, they have something to offer me. They're smarter than me at something. They have an experience that I can learn from. I believe that about everybody on the planet. Very true. Uh, Somebody can probably prove me wrong. I don't know. But (laughs) maybe maybe there's somebody out there that (laughs) has nothing to, I I hope not. But anyways, so I'm a big believer in community and relationships and leveraging each other's experience. All right. So that's, that's one. Um, But the other thing is that I, you know, there's this line, the the lie that I love to tell people is that their business is a straight line to success. Um, On the podcast. I I would love to see that one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's nobody that I know that came up with a business plan, executed on it, and went right where they projected they were going to go. Doesn't happen. No. Everyone falls. We fall a lot. And hopefully if you fall on your face you're at least going the right direction it's when you fall on your rump and don't get back up well there's that yeah but you got to learn to get back up right and i think that's part of what you're helping do here is finding people to help you get back up and keep going because you can't win every time in every business idea right you know you know i hate to use baseball as an analogy i'll use it but would you rather have someone that gets on base every time they get to bat or someone that hits a home run, you know, 20% of the time, which batting 200 for home runs is an amazing. It's a good, yeah, right. Yeah, that's amazing. So no, that's a but, great analogy. Actually. Would you rather have someone that gets on first every time at bat, batting 1,000 to get on first, or batting, tw- you know, 200 to get a home run? Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, we we want to we want to get there every time, right? I think so. Yeah, because that gives you you know because that's the strategy you want to do. Yeah, and because you can't have every business idea as a home run. And not only that, but but the execution's never going to be perfect. The the forethought, the strategy that you thought was going to work isn't. I mean, hell, who saw COVID coming, right? Let's t- beat this dead horse. Well, there are a few people <laughs> that have been saying we were due another pandemic. True. True. They didn't see COVID itself, but they no. saw a pandemic coming. True. You know, yeah, but you know, it. But it's going to be like every other pandemic. It's going to circle the globe at least two times, right? You know, and it, and that's what we're going through is the second one. We've been able, as they say, flatten the curve. Yep. But that's at what, what we cost? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Now you're going to get me fired up. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah. Me too. Because that's not what we're here to talk about today. But that is my. Oh, nothing gets me lit more than that. What the CDC refers to as excess deaths, suicide rates, the, you know, all the stuff that, that we're not even talking about um, as we try to control something that is largely uncontrollable. Oh, yeah. yeah. All we're doing is mitigating. Right. Which is fine. And I understand. Mitigate away. But, but at the cost of what? We've got to do a, a cost benefit analysis. No. And, and so few people do that. And I... I'm not a real political guy, but poor Governor Abbott. Yeah. I mean, trying to make rules for a state this size. Yeah, true. I mean, what's good for DFW Metroplex doesn't work for Alpine, Texas. Right. Doesn't work for Tyler, Texas. And so, you know, what he's doing is giving guidelines to the local ones to try to make the decisions. But then you have the problem, like when this was early on, you know, like you have a city like Plano decides they're closing everything down, and then the city right north of it, Frisco, that says, "Oh, we're not closing anything down." Right. All right, and yeah. so I think that's where Governor Abbott did actually an excellent job of saying, "Okay, here's the criteria." So, like now with the hospital beds utilization over a seven-day rolling average being above fifteen percent for COVID patients, we have to roll back. Yeah. The okay, that actually made sense to me. But going to zero and closing everything down, I, I really feel for people that had to, you know, suffer through all that. Well, and you and I are fortunate enough to be in industries that didn't get just shut off. We didn't get shut off, but it affected us. Oh, 100%. I, I yeah. mean, back in April, you know, I'm seeing it's like the faucet turned off. I don't know. Because that was right at your primary tax time that's it's right primary tax preparation oh man and, and then the government moved the deadline it. to july yeah um okay that's all right that'll be good that's nice oh wait are these people are going to come in are they not going to come in? right uh, uh, mm, yeah i just don't know what's going to happen I had not contemplated that. And so, yeah, yeah. it's just, you know, a little regulatory change changes everything you plan and budgeted for. And so yeah. it's like, you know, we're sitting here with the complete unknown. What's going to happen? Yeah. And then you got people sitting at home saying, you know what? I think I'll start reading and figuring out how to do my own taxes. Oh. And, and, which was fine. But I had several people that said they started doing that, and that's why they came back. Absolutely. I played that game. Because it's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, have you um, read these instructions? This well, is yeah. why we pay people to do stuff. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like if you are comfortable doing it, then do it. It, it, it. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But if it's not something you are have a propensity to do, 
don't. <laughs> Agreed. 100%. So, I mean, on, on this subject, right, we're, we're dealing with a – globally, we're dealing with a challenge that very few people saw. Uh, there, was, there was no plan in place. We're all scrambling. Um, but I, I was interviewing another gentleman a while back, and they kind of said, well, this is really just normal if you think about it because business, like we said – there's no straight line to success. Everything about running a business is, or really life, is about pivot. It's it's taking your best guess, acting on it, if and when it doesn't go the way you plan, figuring out your next steps. So one of the things that I like to talk about on this show is the greatest pivot point you've dealt with, the biggest challenge, the the curveball that was thrown at you that knocked you off your rocker. Um, that you you had to get back up from. So what was the the if you could boil it down to the worst the you know the the most gut wrenching challenge you had to deal with in the business world? What was it? All right. Well, I'd like to commend you on that great segue. Now <laughs> that was that was very good, almost professional like. <laughs> now for me, it's the financial crisis of two thousand eight and two thousand nine. I was I don't want to say master of my universe then because i thought i could do no wrong okay uh i could go down to the bank borrow a million dollars on my signature go get another do another business was no issue well then that financial crisis came and i learned how dangerous debt and leverage was i've never been a big consumer debt guy i've always thought no i don't want consumer debt I'll take business debt. I'll leverage it up so I can make more money. Right. Well, then that financial crisis came. In Texas, we weren't so bad. But then all of a sudden, the bank started calling my notes due. Oh. 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 This line of credit that I was going to use to go through this slow time, they're going to say, oh, we have to cancel that. You can't do that. Um... Okay. And so I found myself all of a sudden in a position with the debt being so large and being called that I had, instead of being able to plan out over years of repaying this stuff, days. So when, and and this is a valid question, and I'll show you my ignorance where it comes to finances. When a bank calls a loan, they're asking you to repay at 100% right then? Within, well, with mine, it was within 30 days. And and they can do that even though that wasn't the term that you originally agreed on? Or is that just in the fine print somewhere and we don't know it? It depends on what type of loan it is okay. and such like that. So each one's different depending on what the promissory note is. These were some lines of credit. And mine just happened to be on a couple of my others. They were balloon notes that were coming due okay. that were amortized longer and so it was time to do a refinance of the balloon because, right. okay, it's – and then the financial meltdown came. They just said, no thanks. And they said, yeah, we're not going to do – and it's like, wow. Wow. Um, I didn't see this coming. No kidding. And see, that's the one thing that also frustrates me is there are people that orchestrated that meltdown up yes. in the Northeast. Yes. I'm not going to name any specific street Fair enough. You know, because <laughs> I might hit a wall. Right. <laughs> um, that none of those people went to jail. Mm-hmm. There were no penalties. There were no nothing. Every time they do this, Main Street America gets hurt. Right. But yet there's no – and the, I just 
Yeah. Goldman Sachs, Bear Stearns, you know, all them. It's just like, you know, it used to do things to facilitate. And now we have companies that don't make money that are on the stock market with ridiculous valuations. Right. I just, I don't understand, but it's all about them getting our money. Yeah. Yeah. The insiders and the outsiders, we're outsiders, they're insiders, and they want more of ours. Mm hmm. And, and then they've just, got the strings to pull to make it happen. Yeah. Unfortunately. And it, uh, and so with this, you know, and that's how that whole house of cards debt, and that's what it did. And it, so what it took me to do is bringing in a close group of advisors to help me okay. navigate this and figure out how to how to Professional do this. Professional advisors? What, some, are some are friends. Some okay. are professionals. Uh, actually, a couple were uh, pastors. Okay. I found that my uh, couple of pastors that were uh, friends of mine that are executive pastors, of the churches, they don't really preach, but they run the churches. Right. And so, you know, and they help give me some guidance. They help give me some things. And then the other thing I did is I looped my staff in and had a meeting. I told them what was going on. And I was like, you know, you know, I got to one point, I didn't know if I was going to make payroll at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. And so I told him, I said, the first per payroll that's going to be cut is mine. Yeah. And then I'm going to go through everything I can, you know. And of that, at that time, I think I had 22 employees. I had one that left because they were afraid. And, but when they got their paycheck, they said, oh, I thought you said we weren't going to be paid. I said, no. I said, you may not get the whole paycheck. They got 92% of their pay. Okay. So I was able to sell some things, do something, and right. rearrange some things because I decided that taking care of my team yeah. was the most important thing. Yeah. And, you know, but it was it was devastating. It so you was, touched on two things I want to point out okay. and, and maybe dig into a little bit more, but at least highlight. So number one, you're transparent. And I love that. I, I get kind of beat on a little bit. I'm, I, I'm told I'm too transparent sometimes, but I will. I like, I want people to know what's going on. Um, because the opposite of that is that they live in fear, right? It, it, our employees aren't dumb. They see what's going on. And if you're not honest with them, um, then they're probably going to be out job hunting anyways and not telling you about it. Yeah. Because they are all wondering, right? But I want them to also be invested in the success. And then, so that was that was my second thing I wanted to highlight where you, you bring them around and, and get them involved in the solution, I think is what I heard you say. Exactly. Yeah. And I tied their future success into it. And, yeah. you know, it's just like because, you know, business is a team sport. It is. There are a lot of people that will say that, oh, i done this, I've done that. You'll, there's always someone that's on that team with them because you can't do it by yourself. And and I'm, I'm digging in here because – so I work – um, I think I mentioned that I'm involved in this community of IT consultants, business owners that run IT firms, mm -hmm. cybersecurity, whatever else. And, and most of it's about marketing, but we're very involved in each other's lives. Uh, we, we know each other's spouses. A lot of times we know what their kids are up to. Like it's a very tight knit community and it, it's also got a coaching component to it. So in, in this community of my peers, I get to see very different leadership styles. And, okay. and the reason I'm pointing this out is because I, I, I watch people who struggle. They might be doing okay financially with their business, but man, they can't find good people. Um, they can't solve problems. They can't this, they can't that. And, and when I will bring up 
say, hey, go talk to them. Get them together. Ask them how they'd like to solve. Because, for example, in the tech world, we have to log our time and our notes when we work with a client. Yeah. And it is like herding cats, trying to push a string uphill. Whatever you want to, you know, to, to get them to do it is tough. And so uh, we're having this conversation and I'm like, sit them down and ask them how they'd like to solve the problem. Well, it's my business. I'm not going to ask them how to run my business. I'm going to tell them and they need to do what I, you know, that's, that's kind of the the mentality. And then you're missing the opportunity for a perfect solution. Right. Because the people that are in the trenches that are doing it may notice something that you don't. And I'm, I'm one I'm not a micromanager. I am a macro manager. I am going to stand back. I'm hands off. Yeah. But I'll give someone enough rope to hang themselves with. Sure. Yeah. And because I've learned that I don't know it all. Right. And that's a hard thing for most entrepreneurs to admit. It is. Because we do wear so many hats. I am good at a lot of different things. Yep. But I'm not perfect at everything. Right. And I can't be. Well, and we can't see everything that's going on. No. If we're not talking to the people in the trenches and getting their feedback, I mean, we could be steering the ship completely the wrong direction oh, and yeah. not even know it. Yeah, because they'll notice trends right. and things going on well before we do. Yeah. You know, by the time it uh, – if you're actually captaining a ship, you know, you're not the one steering it. You're not the one doing everything. They have to come get you once they notice a problem. You're assimilating data and making decisions is really exactly. what you're doing. So, and if you're not going to talk to them, that means you have a closed door policy. That means they're afraid to them to let you know what's going on. Right. So they're willing to let the Titanic hit the iceberg. Right. When if they would have said, come up, yeah. hey, you know, if we change our course one degree south, Everything could be different. Yeah. Hey, here's some data you might not be looking at. Yeah. So, okay. And I love that. So you've got this, you're in the middle of what sounds like a life-altering crisis, a, a major issue. You bring your team around you of employees, um, and then you bring a team of consultants or, or outsiders who maybe can see things from a perspective that you're not seeing at all. At all. And uh, then also reached out, you know, to some competitors that I knew that okay. as a mentoring group uh, and then relied upon my So you built a family. community there. I built a community around it. Nice. And, you know, it's hard with some of those people, but you've got to, what I recommend is start building that community before the sure. emergency comes up. Yep. Because sometimes it's hard to have those conversations when you're embarrassed. Hey, you're nailing it, man. That is, oh. You've got to get out of your own way. Right. And that was the biggest lesson back then for me was for me to get out of my own way. I could not let my pride. Yeah. Oh, wait. Pride come before the fall. Oh, mm-hmm. wait. I think mm-hmm. I read that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Can't imagine. So, it is, but it is true. It is my pride, my ego, all of that was in the way of me getting help because I was embarrassed. Oh, I may not look good in these people. Yeah, yeah. They see it. Yeah, but we want to believe they don't. Some of that's human nature. I think it's worse with us uh, as entrepreneurs. Um, and, I, and I think it's probably different with all of us. I grew up in a family of nine children, single parent income. Oh, wow. Um, you know, we were fine. I, I don't want to make it sound like, because there are people who deal with poverty. 
Um, but it, it took an emotional toll on me, some of the financial struggles of my early life. And in, in business to this day, when you talk about being embarrassed, when financials come up, I shrink. Like that is easily my, my weakest point in running mm-hmm. a business. And, and to have to admit it it's is hard. brutally hard. It's yeah. so hard and terrifying and, and crippling. And so, um, you know, that's that's me. That's my experience. But there are, whether it's finances or any number of things, you know, and I'm, I'm referring to people who won't get their team around them, you know, th- whatever the issue is, we have these blind spots or these places where we won't go. Um, pride, ego, trauma, Whatever it is, we have these things that that can be our downfall. Oh, yeah. We know what we know. We know what we don't know, but we don't know what we don't know. And that's what's dangerous. And that's what's dangerous (laughs) because that is the blind spot. That's what you – and so that's where you've got to find people that love you enough to help me see my own blind spots and be willing to take that information from them. Yeah. And that's hard – to develop those relationships. That's, that's the key, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because you can ask, but if you don't have the relationship where they feel safe giving you feedback, then you're screwed. Exactly, and that's why I you really need to develop those relationships yes. before the emergency happens. Yep. You know, and it was like I'll be one of the first ones to admit. Back then, I had those relationships that people could that I would give them and point out their blind spot. And if someone pointed one out to me, I was like, eh, I pat him on the head. I'll, yeah. I'll be the first one to admit it. Yeah. You know, and it is a lot of personal growth that I had to go through at that time to get to where I could accept that and say, yeah, they're right. Yeah. It's tough. It, and it's got to be cultivated. And it does. In and advance. It, in advance. Very good point. So, um, I mean, you talked about finance. You were over leveraged. And that's what you meant by overleveraged, right? I'm just looking yes. down at some of my notes here because we can we can be leveraged or underleveraged, overleveraged on our uh, pay not payroll, but you know, staff, yeah, uh, inventory of time, whatever you want to call it. There. In this case, I had too much debt for the income that was coming in right. in a short term. Okay, okay. So you call your people around you. Uh, that was one thing, and then you also mentioned in here that you negotiated with your creditors, and I highlighted that because. I've heard that before, but I'll be honest, I've never actually done it. So can you walk us through what that process looked like? Well, for me, it was literally calling my banker and saying, we need to have a meeting. And we need face to face. Let's sit down face to face. I am not a phone guy. I am not. Emails will not do. We got to sit face to face and we have to talk about this situation that what's what's happening and what's doing. You know, and it's like, you know, let's come to a solution. Let's, I'm not trying to stiff anyone. I'm not trying to do anything, but we've got to come to work and let's figure out what we can do. Something that works for everybody. Something that works for everybody. And so it was, so it took probably five or seven in-person meetings with going over different ideas over a couple of weeks, trying to come up with, and some of it was just, I need another 30-day extension. You know, and, and, and yeah. just laying out in front of them, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this, I'm doing X, Y, Z, to try to do this. And so they were like, is, and the part, that was part of what it was communicating with 
the creditor that I was trying to do everything in my power to resolve this issue. You know, sometimes you'll get some that'll play with you. Sometimes you won't. But being transparent again in it and being upfront and communicating that is what I think gave me the credibility. And then what we were able to do is restructure a new deal finally and everything and kind of put me on a probationary status Mm -hmm. and all this. And it wasn't quite receivership, but it almost felt like it to me. Yeah. And um, so and went to do it. And it's like, but I, I set out what I thought was a very livable and workable plan, and this is what we're going to do. And I hit every benchmark, and I nice. made sure of it because I was going to do whatever it took yeah. to hit those benchmarks so I could prove to them I would do what I said. And that's the other thing because what happens when a catastrophe of business magnitude like this that happens, when you stop communicating – with whether it's the creditors, whether it's your employees, that's when you're doing the most damage to yourself yep. and the business because you're leaving them to speculate about what's going on. Right, and that's where and, the fear starts. And when they're speculating, that means that you're either A, ignoring it, or B, you're trying to get away with it. True. And, and I want to point out that when they're speculating, they're usually coming up with worst-case scenarios. Oh. Far worse than what you're ever probably trying to do. Right, right. You know, it's like it's – and so that's why the communication, being open and doing – you know, sometimes, like I said, it could be simply they give you another 30-day extension. Right. It could be uh, they will do an emergency loan and finance it back out and do it 12 months with another balloon. You know, there are all kinds of different options possibly on what happened but it was just you know like when it happened for me i knew it was going my original plan oh we'll just refinance it for another one do another you know but all of a sudden in 2000 2009 all the credit dried up there was nobody willing to do any of that anymore yeah and so what you you know where you're used to as our government loves to kick the can down the road all of a sudden, I could no longer kick the can down the road. Yeah. You know, apparently someone filled it full of concrete and broke my toes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and I mean, the the worst possible outcome of these meetings is that you're in the same situation. Exactly. And you burned a couple hours of time. Um, I love that you insisted on the face-to-face because if, if we look at human behavior, connection, the way we operate, one of my biggest grievances about the face mask that we all have to wear is that it is a disconnect emotionally and socially because we've lost our uh, cues, facial expressions. Well, most people are horrible at body language anyway. Right, right. And then you put the mask on that covers the micro expressions that are so that we pick up naturally but we may not always read it right but at least we get it and then you were so with the yeah. mask it was we're, we're damaging relationships oh, we're, yeah. we're damaging emotional connection and and i'm not here to you know go on an anti-mask rant but the the point i want to make is when you you say an email's not going to work a phone call's not going to work if the mask is doing this to us which is only covering part of our face there is just something about sitting across the table with somebody, looking them in the eye, that changes how we treat people. You look at road rage. Oh, yeah. Why in the world do we put our lives and other people's lives at risk based on who's in front? 
I, I can't think of another case, another scenario where we'll like take these three, four, five thousand pound weapons, aim them at people, and then just live with complete rage over uh, who's where, who's in the lineup, right? But oh. we can't see each other. We're not. We're we're objectifying in that process. You just reminded me of a comedy skit by George Carlin, which I will not repeat on here. <laughs> yeah, that, that, you know, how it, it, it's directly disproportionate in ratio to how close they are. The right. closer they get, the quieter you get about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's, yeah, and, and it is true. It's just, it's human nature. There's, yeah, there is just, and again, a phone call is better than an email mm-hmm. because now at least we have intonations from the voice and, and stuff like that, but nothing beats that, that sit down face to face. I want to be able to look them in the eye. Yeah. I, I went to, and there are actually some business owners that get this. I, I think it's funny. I, it follows the law. I'm not going to speak the restaurant's name, but they bought these clear plexiglass things for masks that just go so you can see the <laughs> wait staff smile and everything, but it doesn't seal. Is this place in Bartonville? No. No? Okay. But the, at several there's, others. There's another one then yeah. that's doing it. <laughs> yeah, there's several that are now doing it. Yeah. But it, that's the other thing. I get a kick out of them hanging the plexiglass everywhere. Right. I was like, what now? You're a salad. You're a sneeze shield. We're still breathing the same air, people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's the it's illusion about making you feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. But at least then you can see the facial expressions. True. And so I was like, all right, well, this is better. Yeah. But it's not not the same. Not the same. But yeah, I mean that that human connection that COVID's killing that a phone call gets in the way of that an email annihilates. <laughs> Uh, you were able to negotiate this, I believe, uh, just hearing your story, because you went and you had a human connection with somebody. I think so. And I think it was my determination to – I think it was the openness yeah. of what I was going through. I would love to say it was the human connection. You know, that had something to do with it. But I, I think it was when they – the human the connection where they could – The transparency. To go with it. To it go probably a combination. It. Because when they looked in my eyes, they could tell that I was sincere, that I was doing everything within my power to come to a solution. Yeah. And I don't think I could could evade it any other way than in person. Right. Right. I, I'm reminded of a story. So I'm politics completely aside i i love to read i like i so i'm a college dropout i don't have a degree in business or anything um and so that's a disadvantage and i have to compensate by i mean you can see my my bookcase behind me i've read most of those books not all of them but most of them um anyways story to the point i was a fan of donald trump long before he ever got into politics okay um, and by fan, I just mean I've, I've picked up on some key things that he's done that sound really smart to me. And one of the stories that just really struck me that he told in one of his books was, uh, you know, because he, again, like everybody, it wasn't a straight line to success, to success for him. He had his down moments. Uh, and there was a time where it said that the, the beggar on the street with a few coins in his can was richer than Donald Trump because he was in debt and had no money. So he's he's at this low point in his life, and there's a, a banquet or something that he's supposed to go to, and he doesn't want to go. Like, he doesn't want to show his face. He's embarrassed. All the stuff we're talking about. Um, and he has access to a limo, but this at this banquet are his bankers. 
And so he also can't show up in his limo to talk to his bankers about why he can't pay the bills. Right. And I might be messing the story up because I read it a long time ago. But so anyways, he, he walks to this thing. It's a few blocks away. It's raining. Like his life just sucks. And, and he, he gets in there and he ends up sitting by, I think it was coincidental that he ends up sitting by his banker and starts having a conversation, maybe similar to what you're talking about. And it was that conversation that saved him because he was he was looking at complete disaster um, and and I, I, here again I'm telling a story that I may not be getting all of the details right but it sounds very similar and what I remember was that the the catchphrase maybe it was a chapter title was you make your own luck yes if he had stayed home like he wanted to if he had hid if he had let that fear cripple him that shame that guilt whatever it was keep him in his house where he was comfortable and dry um, whatever uh, he he took that step he was uncomfortable he sat down by a human he had a connection he was uh, transparent mm-hmm. and and it got him out of that crisis you know in, in some way shape or form so uh, let's see Richard we've uh We've talked about your your low, how you got through it. Did we miss anything on your your coming out of there that you'd like to talk about? I don't think so. I think that, you know, the biggest thing that helped was the personal growth and developing a team around me that I could communicate with, you know, because I still talk with some of these guys today. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, it's us building the team. Right. That's the big takeaway from it. Okay. And start it now, whether you're in trouble or not. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, like I said, I thought I had deep connections with the team because I'd always helped and done the, and I'd, you know, bounced ideas off them, but it was never until I went through this that I really learned how important they were to me. Okay, yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, One thing that, I mean, maybe you've kind of already said it, but I've got it highlighted on my notes, and so I want to I want to hit this real quick. Uh, you said to avoid situations like this is avoid debt, and and I titled the episode intentionally "Avoiding Debt Like the COVID Plague." Uh, we haven't talked a lot about that, but my question around this is: some debt is responsible, some amount of debt, and and this is a hypothesis. Feel free to to shoot it down. And, and some debt isn't like, what do you have a, a guideline? Do you have advice for um, what kind of debt, when to take on debt? Is it just completely flat, avoid it like the plague or what's your take? I'm almost at the point of avoid it like the plague. Okay. Uh, there's another t- radio talk show host that says all debt is evil. I'm not quite there for consumer debt. Does this yes. guy live in, in the Nashville area? Yes, he does. Okay. Um, we don't want to plug his show unless he's going to plug our show. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so we won't mention any of that. <laughs> now, what I think is some debt in businesses are necessary, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And you can't do certain things without debt if you're trying to grow. Right. Like, let's use the idea of a building, for renting versus owning. Yep. You're not paying cash for a building, probably. Most people can't. Right. Right now. There were times that you maybe you could save the money that, but with the real estate prices that have happened in North Texas, we can't do it. 
And so that debt may make sense from a business standpoint. Okay. But now I want a new 86-inch TV to watch (laughs) XYZ or the Super Bowl. That makes no sense. You better save the money. Don't finance. Don't throw that on your 24% credit card. That makes – that is absolutely – no. And credit cards for business. You know, if the interest rates are extreme – why do it? it? You know, there are places now like PayPal credit. I hate to plug them, but, you know, you do things, they give you six months interest free. Okay, that may be okay. Yeah. You know, why? Because it gives you a lay- way to budget out the cash. You may even have the cash, but maybe because of like times now with COVID, I would like to pay it out over six months. Right, right. So I can manage my X flows, you know, my expenses going out because I don't know what my inflows are going to be because of COVID. Well, and and because of always. Always, right. And and that's, I think, the biggest... I'll throw myself under the bus here. I'm an optimist. And so it, it... A lot of times in my brain, it makes sense to take on debt right now because I know I'm going to be so much richer. Just give me another week or two and I'm going to have more money than I have today. And in a year, hell, I'm going to have all the money I need. So it makes sense to take on debt. It'll be so easy to pay it off later. I play those kind of games in my brain. Uh, I don't like to admit that publicly, but it happens. Um, Another thing I want to point out, though, is that statistically speaking, uh, people who start businesses with money, meaning whether it's an investor or their own money, but they have a significant amount of money to start a business with, statistically are less likely to succeed than people who start out without money. Have uh, you ever heard that statistic yes, before? Actually, I've heard that, but I've never actually seen the study that proves that. Same. Okay. And, and, and maybe it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, but the premise is that your creativity starts when you can't, when you want to go up and there's the only way that you can go is either sideways or up. Well, let me give you the, you know what? I'm going to cut you off right now, and I'm going to give you the case study you said you've never seen. Okay. I got a line of credit. This was several years back. I got a line of credit for $50,000. A bank rep walked in my door soliciting, hey, we, we're you've been approved for a line of credit. It's a reputable bank. I mean, it's not like it was a scam. I went down to the bank. I talked to him about it, filled out the paperwork, got approved for a line of credit for $50,000. I blew through that line of credit in about eight months, and I bought all the stuff that I knew was going to work out so well. Stuff I would have never done if it was my own money. Yeah. Um, none of it worked out. None but it. I would not have done the things I did without that line of credit. I would have come up with more creative solutions, more careful solutions. More thought out. More thought out. Yeah. Yeah. So there's your case study. Well, yeah. <laughs> well it's just the case study for individuals when thinking about what you're going to buy and stuff. You know, it's been, there are studies that I have seen that if you pay with plastic, you'll spend 21% more than you would if you pay for cash. Really? Why? Because Benjamin hurts when it comes out of the wallet. That's true. Yeah. I know Uncle Benjamin. Yep, Uncle you're Benjamin, looking at him. He wants to stay in my wallet. <laughs> I like Uncle Benjamin in my wallet. Yeah, but swiping a card's easy. Swiping a card, that's nothing. That's just that's just digits. What, what mm. is that? 
And so, yeah, yeah, but there are several consumer studies that consumers will spend 21% more when paying with debit or credit cards than they will with cash. I think I've heard that before, and it actually reminds me of early in my marriage, we did the envelope system for budgeting. Yeah. And and it was amazing what we could make happen because we had cash in envelopes. And when the money was gone. The money's gone. We got to do something. Like, we can't do that thing anymore. We had an envelope for dining out, you know, eating out. We had an envelope for groceries. We had an envelope for rent. And yeah. yeah, we we spent a lot less then than we do now. I'll tell you that. Yeah, what living within your means. Yeah. Well, you can run a business just like that, also. Yeah. Are you familiar with Profit First by chance? While we're plugging things. Yes, I have. Mike McCallowitz. I, I I have heard it. You know. I have a little different mindset. I, I don't like it. I, honestly, and, and, I'm not. I'm not advocating it. But it's an interesting concept. It's similar to this envelope system for businesses. Yeah. Um, you know, well, but it's a mess when you try to do the accounting behind it. Oh yeah, it is. It, you know, but it, it it boils down to doing either a budget or something right. and living within your means. That's, that's what it is, yeah. and that's really what it is. And where I think, as we talked about, businesses that start on a shoestring learn to do things within their means. If you have a benefactor, whether it be an investor. Uh, uncle's money, family money. Well, let's just go ahead and do that. And so you don't have to worry about living within your means. Correct. Because why? I'm going to hit this home run. Yeah. Well, what if you don't? Right, right. I mean, so I'm one of the ones, you know, know, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Yeah. Well, and, and unless maybe that benefactor is involved enough to hold you accountable for how you're using the money, maybe that's an exception to the rule. But generally speaking, I think it's just yeah. having it is a temptation that is almost um, you can't get past it. Yeah. And, it just, and, and that's where you need someone that's willing to talk with you, that's going to help you see the risks of it. Because there are people, though, that don't think debt is a risk at all. Yeah. And okay, let's let's do it. And as long as I can make more money than what their bank is charging me, I'll come out okay. Yep. Well, until something like the financial crisis happens, right? Then it's a house of cards. Yep. So the question then becomes is how do we protect us from that? Well, the only way to do that is try to do as little as debt as possible. Right. And, you know, because I'll do the argument all day long. I have a lot of real estate investment clients. I like real estate. And that do the argument between paying cash for a rental property compared to financing a rental property. Okay. And I've had debates in front of real estate clubs about this. You know, and they're like, well, you know, you get to write the interest off. Well, yeah, but let me... Why would I want to pay the bank interest when I could keep that money that self? They say, well, it's a tax deduction. Okay, I'm a tax guy. Yep. All right. You got a $5 bill on you? Me personally? Yeah, right now. Uh, let's see. No, I'm broke. You're broke. You got a 10 or a <laughs> I 20? I don't have any cash in here okay. at all. Okay, all right. Nope. Well, <laughs> let's, let's use the theater of the mind and imagine you have a $5 okay. bill. Okay. And you hand that to me. That's the interest that you paid on the property. Right. Well, now I'm going to hand you a dollar back. That's, That's the, the tax, tax savings. savings. <laughs> I okay. know it. I know it. All right. Let's do this. Now, let's just change the scenario. Okay. That's f- for the bank. Well, let's do my fee. For every $5 you give me, I'll give you a dollar back in tax savings. 
Matter of fact, I'll even give you a dollar back in a rebate. So you're getting $2 back out of the $5. Now, you keep bringing me every five you can find, and I'll keep giving you $2. It's a great until strategy my for arm, somebody. Until my arm falls off. Yeah. Uh, let me know when you break even. <laughs> you make it up in volume. Exactly. <laughs> well, he had Wall Street backing to where he could do oh, that. Okay. Okay. He had unlimited fun. You can't. When you have someone backing you that's not asking you where the money's going and have unlimited funds, then that's a possibility. But that's the yeah. perfect example that you just brought right, up. Right, right. We'll make it up in volume. Because tell me, when does the math work? It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> not in volume. Exactly. <laughs> and so, but what he was able to do in that case is he's able to put the competition out to where he could then raise his prices up and make so he had enough oh, okay. money. Okay. So it was to wear out the competition. Yeah. I mean, so if you have enough money, that's a viable plan. Most of us don't have access to that kind of money. Right. You know, and so that's where the different, you know, with that is to me. Yeah. You know, but if the only way that you can get the rental property is through a mortgage or a debt, and you're making positive cash flow, okay, it may be worth it, but you may want to pay it off as soon as you can yeah. and then pocket that additional money. Because it's like right now, if you have cash just sitting in a bank, what is it earning? Less than 1%, less Correct. than a half percent, yep. maybe a tenth of a percent? Yep. Oh, let's put it in the speculation or the gambling arena called Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's go to Vegas and put it on a crap table. Right. <laughs> it's a similar. It was, it's similar. It's similar. In yeah. nature. And so that's why I think debt, you have to be very careful. You got to look at your facts and circumstances and determine what is the right amount or is any amount right for you and your family. Yeah. Because there's not a hard, fast rule. The best rule is no debt. But uh, we agreed. live in a society that it is so expensive that if you're going to try to improve, debt may be the only way that you can do it. Yeah. You know, because it's like buying a commercial building or buying a home. That is very difficult. Now, I mean, I feel sorry for young kids now. Starter homes are a quarter of a million dollars. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's, going up. Yeah. Even in this downturn, <laughs> yeah. they're going up. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. so. It's a very personal thing. Yeah. I think. I, cause, and that's why I try not to do it, say that it is an absolute no debt. Agreed. I, I don't think there are very many absolutes. Um, yeah. Again, you could prove me wrong. There, there are some. Like, we all die. Yeah. But there are very few in the world of business. There are very few absolutes. There are very few of us who have a crystal ball that projects the, or, you know, gives us a good view of the future. Uh, you know, maybe more times than not, but certainly not 100%. And so anytime you're over leveraged, anytime you take out debt, there's always the chance that you won't be able to pay that back. There's that stuff out of your control can. So, you, I mean, you just got to be careful with that. And, you know, I, I mentioned early on of why I started this podcast to learn from each other. Uh, one of the most troubling statistics, and I know statistics are made up, I get all that, um, but the statistic remains, uh, or at least it's published, that about uh, a third or less of businesses make it to the 10-year mark. It's, that's that's tragic. 
Oh yeah, it, because people pour their heart and soul. So you're you're going at less than twenty percent. And yeah. I, I read different statistics all over the place, and I don't know which one is studying what and excluding what. Are we counting the yeah. you know the MLMs and the so whatever? But the statistically, you're more likely to fail than to succeed in business. That's correct. Right? And and that's tragic to me because of you know I I do this, I live it, I breathe it. It's gut wrenching. We pour our existence into building this thing that becomes almost as you know we're almost as in love with this as we are with family. It's it's our children, you know, yeah. a child to some extent. And there are some people that are more attached to their business than their children. I've met. There's truth to that. Uh, I hope I'm not in that camp, but it definitely uh, interferes sometimes with our our family lives. But you know, so I I, I lost a business one time. Uh, the first I think I mentioned that right after 9/11. Uh, a lot of it was just immaturity on my part. I was pretty young, and I, I quit more than I, I – I could have survived, but whatever. I didn't. So I was one of those statistics. But the point that I'm making here is just the emotional trauma that that was. Um, you know, this is 20 years ago, and, and it still eats at me. And But you learned from it. Oh, I absolutely learned from it, and it's – it. It plays into what we're doing here today. Statistically speaking, you're more likely to fail than not. And so what we have to do if we're going to survive, if we're going to beat those odds is, you know, and I'm kind of wrapping this up and we're going to bring this home, but we we have to learn from each other. And I think what we've talked about today, while I, I said early, this is not one of my favorite topics. It's one that I run from. I think it's critical. Uh, it, it's so critical that we understand finance, that we're planning for it, that we're very careful with debt. I would agree with you, avoid it like the, the COVID plague that it mostly is. Um, but, you know, as as we, my business, we do, we fight cybersecurity. That's, that's our thing. And one of the kind of taglines I've come up with, or maybe it's more of my, the way I personally feel my, my purpose for being in business is that we exist as a company to make sure you don't go out of business because when you get hit with cybercrime, you know, this is one of your, one of the greatest threats out there to business is cybercrime, cyber attacks. And so we exist to at least remove that one from somebody. We're talking today about another one. We're talking about finance. We're talking about debt. We're talking about uh, curveballs that come at you. Um, and this is where I think your business, and I'm going to just kind of pitch this to you to tell the world what you do, why you're so good at it, and and how they can do business with you. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're going to, we can't do everything well. We I cannot do finance well. I know that. I'm admitting it on the air. Most people cannot do cybersecurity well. So we've got to find people who do things well, get them in our corner, build our our advisory team, if nothing else, right? Exactly. That's how we're going to beat these odds. So take us home, Richard. Right. Talk about your business and how you go fighting this statistic of businesses failing. All right. Well, uh, I'm part of uh, Trusted Tax. And what we've done is we try to do more of a coaching standpoint because... Because idiots like me don't know how to manage money. Yes. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't know what you don't know. Correct. And so I want... I don't... What I found is a lot of accountants have a adversarial relationship with their clients. Agreed. Because every time a client calls for a phone call... They immediately start the clock because oh, yeah. they're going to send them a bill. Yeah. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to work out on a monthly type arrangement. Usually, if I'm doing your stuff, it's a flat monthly fee. Okay. 
Why? Because I want you to call me with the questions. I want you, because it's easier than coming in after the fact when you try to do your tax and say, oh, by the way, I did this. Well, was I out the day you called? Hmm. Who did you talk to about this? Oh, the salesman said this was a good idea. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, because see, that's what I found was a problem. I don't want to send you a bill for a phone call. I don't want to do that type of thing. I want you to feel free to call my office and I want the communication to be there because at the beginning, answering your questions and finding and helping guide you will prevent heartache down the road. Absolutely. It's it's, It's because, you know... If we rely on other people, because uh, I love, you know, if you want tax advice, you get it from the plumber. Oh, no, wait, UPS driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if you want computer security advice, I think brother-in-law that was, is the most common answer there. Oh, brother-in-law? Okay, yeah. I was going to say hairdresser. Well, okay, uh, you that know, too. He, he's a, he's a brother-in-law is a hairdresser. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> See, there, you know, or you get it from, uh, you know, if you're looking at uh, marketing, you talk to the butcher for that. It, everyone has yeah, someone that yeah. knows. And it's like, okay, are these and really? we're putting no in air quotes. Yeah. Everyone has somebody who knows. Knows, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what I wanted to do is wanted to build a team that could help businesses succeed. And so then that's what I've tried to do. And it's like, you know, you may have, I want someone to come to me as a part of their business coach. You may have a question about insurance. Mm-hmm. I may not know the answer, but hey, let's get a couple of people that are experts in that and let me play devil's advocate with you, with them to make sure they're just not selling you something you don't need. Nice. And so those are the type of things that I like to do. You know, the tax preparation, yeah, my staff handles it and we do that. You know, Mm -hmm. doing the quarterly reporting, the bookkeeping, the financials. But really what we try to do is make ourselves available to answer your questions when they come up. But the problem is a lot of times what will happen with a lot of my clients that have been with me for 20 plus years is we structure everything. And once we get you in a good tax position and we structured it that way, it may be if the tax laws haven't changed, you know, this year there's really not much that we need to change. Why? Yeah. Because we already went to the most tax efficient thing for you. Make sure that we have some type of meeting in the year when things change. So uh, valid question. How often do you meet with your clients on average? Is it is it scheduled? Is It, it depends on the client. Okay. When it's a new client, I try to have a conversation with them at least three times a year. Okay. At least. There are some clients that were new that wanted, that I've actually had pay me for unlimited consultations for in a year. Okay. And I'm like, okay, if that's what you want, I said, I'm going to try to talk you out of it because you will get sick of me. Yeah. And what happens is when you first start doing some type of new business, at the very beginning, you need handholding. And we're going to have right. a couple of meetings at the very beginning. Then you're going to realize, oh, yeah, this is the next one's. Oh, it's pretty close to the same thing. My questions are the same as they were before. Yeah. He's already answered those. And what I have found is with at the beginning of the relationship, we speak more than we do as the relationship goes sure. on. Because I'm one that I'm going to tell you how I see it. I'm going to try to give you the information and let you make the decision. 
Yeah. Because, you know, I am not going to tell you what's right. I'm going to tell you the information. I will tell you which way I think might be best for you. But if you decide to do what I don't tell you, that's fine. Right. I, I, right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I gave you the information you, and you made an educated decision. Give me the data. Let me decide. And I like that's that. what I want you to do. And yeah. I've actually lost clients because of that. Because really? yeah, I would not tell them they what want, to do. They want, yeah. They want your name on the, they want you on the line, not them. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like, no, my job is to give you the information so you can make an educated decision. If wow. you want to ask what I would do in my situation, I'll tell you what I would do. And if you want my opinion, okay, based on what I know from you, this is what I think you should do. I will give that to you okay. if you ask for it. But okay. I'm not going to, I'm not one of these guys that say, you need to do this. Got it. That's not the way it works. Because what we've got to learn and what I really try to do is, you know, learn your facts and circumstances. What is it that you want your business to provide for you and your family? And let's structure that so this business can provide that hmm. in a tax efficient manner. You know, because there are a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to pay tax. Well, I do. My goal is to write a check to the IRS for a million dollars. Why? Because that means I made a whole lot right, more than that. Right. You know, I just don't want to pay more than I'm legally entitled to. Absolutely. You know, I want to support our country, our, our military. You know, a hundred percent. Yep. And so yep. I'm not one, and that's what I'll talk to you: the pros and cons of it. Okay. You know, it was like, well, do we want to take Code Section 179 and write this all off? Well, maybe. Is it something that you may get rid of in a few years? Because most people don't realize that has to be recaptured as ordinary income uh. in the year of disposal. Well. If we do code section 168K bonus depreciation, that doesn't recapture. Maybe it would be better to do that than the other. And so there are options to okay. do. And so let's talk about, you know, different in what your strategies are for these things. And so, as like I said, with a new client, I talk to them more frequently. Okay. Uh, with some existing clients, I've, I've done a lot of phone calls this week, you know, did one yesterday you know, for an hour or so with a client about a tax plan, kind of what was going forward. But it, he was just like, you know, there's not a lot of change from last year. I said, yeah, the tax laws really haven't changed. Most all the law changes this year had to do with COVID. Sure. And you didn't have any employees, so it really didn't affect you. And so he goes, okay, you know, but we still spent an hour going over what he wanted to go over yeah you know and then i have other clients that are like uh, do i need to talk to you no there hadn't been any changes this year okay i don't want to talk to you all right <laughs> right yeah because hey, i'm not going to force myself on anybody yeah that, you, know, I, you know what i, mean, I am an acquired taste <laughs> well listen as as you're sitting there talking about this it's you could change a few words and it could be my my uh, sales pitch because it, it it's similar, and it, this isn't novel in the IT world, but it, it is a flat monthly fee, and we want people calling us before we're having meltdowns. Yeah. Don't tell me that everything just blew up. Let's talk long before that, you know, and it's different worlds because we have to we, – we do a lot of monitoring that gives us those clues. People don't always pick up on it, but when, when you bill by the hour – it, it, there's just major resistance to pick up the phone on, on whatever that industry oh, is. So exactly. I love that, that that's how you're doing things. Yeah. And I didn't know that, honestly, before we started. So that's yeah. that's new well, information there. It's, you know, th there's the old joke. If, you know, I see my attorney walking down the street, I'm going to cross the street because he weighs at me. He's going to send me a bill. Exactly. I, I, <laughs> I don't want that. And I know accountants that are that way. That oh, that we way. just got rid of one that was that way. Yeah. And it wasn't even itemized. We just get these outrageous bills with, you know, 
several thousand dollars and about five words explaining what was done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't play that game. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't want people to be surprised. Right. You know, I want them to know. I want them to be able to budget it. I want them to be able to do it. You know, because it was like, you know, I want to be part of your team. Right. It was like when this COVID hit and we didn't know what was going to happen, you know, I stopped billing all my clients um, in May and June. Oh, wow. I didn't bill anybody. Hmm. And I told my clients, you know, since we don't know what's going on, we're not going to bill you. So it was actually for the months of April and May when the okay. f- close down first happened. We're not going to bill you. We're going to see how, and we'll adjust your, if, if the work is less, we'll adjust your billing uh, off the normal monthly rate. And then what we're going to do once things start ramping back up is we'll spread those months out over the remaining part of the year. So you'll recapture it. So we'll recapture it. So you basically it. gave them a loan of some sort. Of some sort. Yeah. I said, but if your business totally shut on and done it, then, then it's, you know, it's I may give you a credit or I may forgive it. Yeah. And I said, you know, is that okay? You know, because awesome. this is all I can do. You know, is it's yeah. a little bit that I can do to try to help. Well, and so that tells me that you had the cash reserves to do that because that's not everybody does. Uh, yes. Uh, well, and I, you don't have to get into those kind of yeah, details. I'm I know not, that it, it, we're not going to air out laundry, but I, I mean, that's another just kind of a key point while we're talking about finances is having cash reserves, you know, and, and yeah. being able to weather storms. Yeah. This is the opposite of debt. Well, part of Well, that this is one of the times that when they came out with this EIDL loan, EIDL grant, and the PPP loan. Right. You know, that everyone, mm-hmm. I think you had a guest on the, about the yep. PPP forgiveness and loans that I looked at that and I said, you know, I think I want to do that. Yeah. And so I was going to use those funds okay. as a safety net to be able to help my clients. Awesome. And take care of my staff. Right, right. Because Which is really what it was intended for. Is what it was you know? intended for. So, and, you know. That's responsible use of funds right there. I mean, hat tip to you. Seriously, yeah. that's. But, you know, so and so it goes back. To, I lost sleep about taking loans out to do this. Yeah. I but I imagine. I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. Right. You know, and so. But if everything works out right, we'll be good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if it doesn't, we're all in a bad situation anyway, so we could deal with that. Yeah. You know. I mean, if worst part, I'm going to go around and start kissing everybody. I'm going to get COVID there and kill myself. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then we're, we're done. Just yeah. wrap this game up. Yeah. That's not a horrible strategy. Uh, you know, and, and so that you're making a point that kind of I want to almost counter what I said before. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know every foreseeable good or bad thing you know and so yeah sometimes the we have to take calculated risks there that is what business is Mm -hmm. it it is a game of risks and mitigation right mitigating the risk is such a good phrase yeah because we can't do away with it it's not gone there is no absolute like you said before on on don't ever use debt Um, but we do have to be smart about it and and mitigate yeah and you have to be thoughtful you know, like you said, mitigate the risk. What can I do to build a safety net for what I'm trying to do? Right. That's it. Yep. Well, listen, I, uh, I've i got nothing else unless we miss something. Is there you, – do you have final words for us? I appreciate you having me. I, I really do. I've enjoyed this. You know, um, you know. Let me know if you want to be bored ever again. <laughs> Listen, I, I I started by saying this is a subject that I don't like, and I'm I, I've been 
I mean, I don't want to overstate it. Riveted? Is that the wrong word? I don't know. But this has been valid information for me. If nobody else ever listens to this recording, I can tell you that I took something away from this and I appreciate your time here. So well, thank you for being here. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that, you know, because that's the one thing that and that's what I tell everyone, you know, and it, it upsets people. You know, when you're trying to hire someone to help you with your finances, interview at least three people. Right. And find one that you're comfortable with that you can communicate with. Yeah. Because the law is what the law is. True. And you want to find someone that you can communicate with that you think will have your interest in mind when they're making recommendations. Right. And find someone that talks to you and not at you or above you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the key to all the business relationships. Agreed. Yep. And I think that's what we did here today. So listen on that note. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Justin.